0: Hello, humans. Welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man-based fiduciary pro. My name is Martin Hall. and Thanks for listening. In this podcast, we chat to an array of business leaders from different sectors to learn more about them, their market, skill sets and knowledge. We hope you enjoy. Today I'm joined by Sinead. Thanks for joining me today. No worries. So perhaps provide our listeners a little bit of background to, to where you grew up, your early education. and
1: yeah, sure, sure. So I'm originally from Northern Ireland, as you can probably <laughs> tell from the accent, um, from County Down. So when I go to Peel, I can stand on the beach in <laughs> and wave and look over at the mornings. Um So, th- yeah, that's absolutely where I grew up, was educated, um, went to the University of Ulster at Coleraine, uh, did a degree in European Business Studies with French. Um, spent a year of that uh, working, uh, six months working in Holiday Inn worldwide in Brussels which was amazing and six months at university in Angers in the Loire Valley which was also amazing. Um, So the whole degree was targeted towards graduating in 1992, year of the single market, we were all going to go to Brussels and and work um, for the European Commission etc. Um, and I got as far as the Isle of Man, <laughs> um, but always, you know, always wanted to to come here because during my university holidays, I used to work here as a waitress and a chambermaid in the hotel. Okay. Um, and growing up in Northern Ireland in the nineteen eighties, I guess subconsciously I just thought this is a really nice place to be. Were
0: what was that first step that brought you here? It's not like his family or what um, was
1: Yeah, I kind was of... Beaches? No, uh, <laughs> as my mother would say, where the heart lies, the feet wander. Um, so yes, um, I met my son's father here okay. and uh, moved here just after I graduated. Right. Um, as I say, much to the disappointment of... <laughs> My parents at the time, who I think thought I was destined for Brussels. a career <laughs> in Brussels, um, think they're okay with me now. But yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I've always loved it. So I've either lived in Northern Ireland or lived on the Isle of Man. So yeah.
0: And the, the studies, what, what made you go down that route of uh, languages?
1: i um, always loved languages. Okay. Um, I got top A in Northern Ireland in my English language uh, O level. Um, So I've I've always been um, had an affinity with language Mm -hmm. and when I started grammar school um, I remember getting my French textbook on the first day and bringing it home at the weekend because I went to boarding school and reading it from cover to cover and just falling in love with French. Um, So that was always. I did Irish as well so at my school it was mandatory to do Irish to O level. I took it on to A level. So um there's a little bit still left yeah. but not a lot. <laughs> I was gonna say, do
0: you know now now many of those still could you go France and be I could, yeah, I
1: could. France I blend would be in. comfortable with, the yeah. talk area of Ireland, maybe not so much but <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, France I would feel comfortable with still. Um yeah. because going to university and attending lectures in Fran- in French, having to do a French dissertation, yeah. you know, it just kinda gets gets yeah, in, yeah. in your blood and stays there. So yeah, I regret not having a role that involves my French, yeah. but it was I, one of those
0: things. I did a podcast recently with someone and they were similar, they'd done languages and yeah. they actually found how helpful it was as part of those studies was on learning cultures yeah. from, from I suppose, yeah living and learning in those places yeah. as well, yeah. to, that they now use in their business now, yeah. just knowing the different cultures and how they yeah Yeah, and, and are. it was
1: a great experience, you know, living... For six months in, in France, and then another six months in Brussels, yeah. it was fabulous. You yeah, know, I'm a sure really great
0: time in my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the you mentioned then you came to the island and mm-hmm. started working on on the island. Yes. What was your first sort of main main <laughs> job? And was that just a job for a sake of getting a job, uh, or did you have a yeah, career in mind?
1: My dad mind? told me that if I didn't have a job in six months, I had to come home. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, so I I had a very early foray into advertising sales. Okay. Um, with the old Manx Independent, um, which got bought over by all uh, of newspapers. Uh, that wasn't a career for me. Um, and then during that time, Eagle Star, as it was then, hmm. was recruiting and I went along to an open evening. And um, then when I got made redundant, uh, when Manx Independent was bought out, I wrote to Eagle Star and said, I'm free now right. <laughs> <laughs> in my naivety. And thankfully Eagle Star said, that's good to know, come and work for us. So my first real financial services job was in the new business team in Eagle Star and I eventually ended up in the UK team which coincided with um, key features and cancellation notices coming in in the UK and so this was in the old, really old days of the PIA in the UK and I was the new business link to the project team that was working on cancellation notices and, and the like. And that was my first interface with compliance okay. and my first love affair with compliance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't admit that.
1: Ooh, a road book. and yeah, so after that um, I really wanted to move into compliance. There weren't any opportunities at Eagle Star.
0: So mm. can I skip that stage yes. obviously now? say compliance rules the world but it's so dominant is that something looking back you'd ever envisage where we are now with it? no never never
1: never i mean this was in 1995 and my first compliance job at sun life you know was we were in the compliance function was completely in its infancy i was really lucky to work um for a guy who had done compliance in the uk and you know I credit him with teaching me a lot of what I still use today mm-hmm. in terms of bringing compliance to life for people and um, so it was a real baptism of fire um, and we didn't have the internet in those days so you know my first task was to write churning procedures and anti-money laundering procedures and I was like I don't even know what those things yeah, are. Never yeah, yeah. heard of them. <laughs> you know, we didn't get KYC in those days. Yeah, you know, yeah. we we might have got a copy of a passport to put age you know, admitted yes on a policy document, but that was about it. Um, so that was really you know educational and instructive.
0: We and do chat to people about men looking back at mentors. Yeah. and uh, sometimes good just to sort of stop. Yeah. wherever you are in your, in your career and go and, and look how people Absolutely. impacted your career.
1: Absolutely, and you know. Keith was one of those people that I learned a huge amount of, and we're still in touch today, thankfully, um, so yeah, he was uh, very um, educational, um, and it's funny how, how one of my mottos in life is create your own luck, and I did that by writing to Eagle Star, oh. and when I was at Sun Life in the early weeks that I was there, uh, we engaged KPMG to come in and do a compliance review, and. I was really sort of curious as to what they did and you know they said oh we come in we look at what you're doing we tell you where your weak spots are and we go home again and i was like oh mm. <laughs> that's quite interesting i want to do that one day All right, okay um, so when i got to the stage at sun life where i felt i wanted to move on um sorry keith <laughs> in case you're listening <laughs> um, i wrote to kpmg Right. And I said, I'd like to come and work for you. <laughs> and thankfully they cr- said yes. It <laughs> goes,
0: goes back though, doesn't create your own luck for yep, than And kind of being passive own, and waiting for it yeah, to land creating on your, your own list. luck yeah. is a
1: huge motto of mine. Mm. Um, so I joined there in 1999 into regulatory and compliance advisory role. Um, stayed there for 15 years. All right. um, and then six years ago.
0: So, yeah. sorry. in that yeah. role, what was the day to day? Was that? out to advise clients or working internally within the business or both?
1: It was very much client facing and it was very new. And we had some great mentors again. You know, I worked for David McGarry. I worked for Mike Feal and, you know, they taught me so much in terms of standard of client care, standard of work. I still write today the way David taught me how to write. yeah it was really great um we we put some really great products together that were so in ahead of their time like we had a, a site for mros way before the internet was really a thing yeah, right. Um so it was great brilliant experience and yeah. towards the end of my career there um, i was involved with the gibraltar office um, and we were a center of excellence for aml within the KPMG uh, inter island community, if you like. Mm. So I traveled to the other, to Turks, to Bahamas, to BBI, to provide MRO type seminars. Fabulous, fabulous time and learned a huge amount. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And
0: then you mentioned there you then move on to, yeah, well, Doherty Quinn, I imagine it was then back it then, was, rather than DQ. Quinn
1: and it's now DQ Advocates, yeah. some people still welded to calling us Doherty <laughs> Quinn. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a huge transition for me because I'd been at KPMG for 15 years and people thought that I would be there too. I was till I retired, and I kind of thought that myself. And my life plan was work in uh, KPMG till I'm. Was 50 and then go and work in Marks and Spencer's, uh-huh. um, and then DQ came along and kind of interrupted that plan.
0: What was appealing about that opportunity?
1: Um, I knew them; um, I'd worked with them already. I thought they were a nice group. Um, I guess you know, time at KPMG was you know going on and, and things were just sort of the same, and this gave me an opportunity to change um, later on in my life, which doesn't often come around. Um, And I like the fact that DQ as a law firm were thinking, yeah, we could do this regulatory compliance advisory stuff. Um, I like that. uh, We're a very ambitious firm. We like being different from the rest. Um, And that was DQ's, I think, first step into being markedly different from the rest. For me, as for my clients, it offers a one stop shop between compliance advisory and legal services. Whereas previously we would have had to say, you need to speak to your advocates about that. Now we can just seamlessly work for the client across yeah. all the practice areas. And I think the clients really benefit from that. And I think the advocates benefit the other way yeah, around. Right. Yeah.
0: So when you came in there, was, was the thought, help compliance, I use the word, internally mm-hmm. and externally, yes. was that the, right? Yes. And is that role still the same today yes, where it's yes. kind of doing both? Yes. Oh, absolutely.
1: So I have internal responsibilities. I'm MLRO, I'm data protection officer. Um, Um, but I still continue my compliance advisory work um, which you know is the work that I love doing
0: and I imagine that just continues on a year on year basis to get more and more just and it's so
1: varied you know across the whole of the financial services sector Uh, touching on the e-gaming sector sometimes the designated businesses sometimes but it's just you know requires you to be really sharp in your knowledge really ahead of, of your clients don't pay you to to learn something because they've asked you, hmm. they expect you to know it, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that takes a huge amount of personal investment, so per- I'm passionate per- about it.
0: That was one of the questions I had yeah. really about that, because it changes so regularly mm. the space that yeah. you have to be kind of yeah. on point continually.
1: Yeah, and yeah. it's not just out of man, you know, you have to look at what the Channel Islands are doing, what the UK is doing, and just kind of have that horizon scan going on all the time so that you know the client doesn't come to you and say, "What does this mean for your for our business?" And you say, uh, "I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a good place to be." Right. So, for example, when FATCA started bubbling about, you know, I was saying, "Right, I've got to get i got to get myself like I've got to get myself educated on this because mm-hmm. this looks like something that would impact on our clients." So, and all the UK you know stuff like the Criminal Finances Act and that has extra territorial reach and it's about just making sure that you're really going to add a value to your oh. client yeah for uh,
0: so somebody interested in getting into compliance mm. obviously i'm sure you'd say it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever but yeah uh, <laughs> is that might be one <laughs> of you <a few? laughs> that uh, I presume you just encourage people to, to go and get educated around you know go and get professional qualifications uh, and I guess find find a, a, a company to yeah to I think, provide that basis. I think the
1: professional qualifications are good um
0: practical personally
1: I don't think they ever replace practical experience. practical experience yeah. so if I was recruiting into my regulatory compliance advisory team I would be looking for someone who'd sat in the seat at least um, and understood what it's like and um, so that's where someone can really add value to compliance advisory work because you have credibility with the client. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't got that practical experience then it's a little bit less attractive yeah, to the yeah. client because yeah. you need that trust, you need the client to trust what you're saying yeah, yeah. and place that reliance and not think oh gosh you know I think I'm going to go and get a second opinion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it's again as it's an observer of compliance how because obviously it is about money laundering, mm-hmm. but that's the very much, I guess, old, not old way, but it's just so broad now, the context yeah. of compliance, oh, isn't it, that uh, you have to have so many strings to your bow, yeah. I guess, to...
1: Yeah, yeah, it depends, you know, on the nature of where you work, but it will be AML, it will be anti-bribery, it will be data protection, it will be the rule book, it will be, you know, FSA guidance, it could be and CRS, yeah. you know, so there's an awful lot of pillars to a compliance rule, which wind back to when I started in 95, it was primarily AML um, because that's really all there was. And there was a little bit of prudential and there was a little bit of conduct of business, but we've morphed, you know, to a situation where you need to be all things to all men in a compliance rule, unless your business is, big enough and, and wealthy enough to have separate MROs, separate data yeah. protection officer, yeah. separate compliance officer, etc. So.
0: How many do you have in your team now?
1: There's three of us in okay. total. Um so there's myself, um there's uh, Mike Nudd, who's a consultant, uh, who joined us from Equiem, and we have a trainee, Catherine Sharman, who did a law degree but um she created her own luck because she came to us some work experience and said to me i really like what you do and maybe one day i'll come and so when we identified that we needed a trainee i thought right yeah you know she created her own love yeah, for yeah, me yeah. so I, I really like that about yeah people. no absolutely yeah
0: yeah, yeah. So, so on the previous podcast we were chatting to jennifer who heads up the institute of yes. directors and we talked about the the boards and the dynamics mm-hmm. of boards and the, the governance around boards uh, i guess that's do you see more and more and obviously it should be anyway but that uh, that not independence on the board but that compliance head that's in the room with the not the directors aren't compliance or governance orientated but having maybe that independence that i presume you feel that's an important part when you're looking at board composition yeah compliance are either in there or yeah very much heard in the room
1: yeah and 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 having the collective um, around the table who understand that everyone's responsible for it you know it's not just the compliance officer yeah. Um, So hearing directors saying, you know, well, it's not really my area and I don't really know and yeah, I don't really read the report very much in depth is putting themselves in a really precarious position these days because the regulatory responsibility sits with with all directors. It's specialised in maybe the head of compliance, but everyone needs to be sort of on on top of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So mentioned earlier about kind of the Perhaps initially when compliance was of maybe my observations mm-hmm. more than other people the compliance initially was just you know well it was very much focused on people money laundering or, or sophistication of, of, of getting and obviously it's such a broader scope now, but if you take it back to back to the, those earlier date or that earlier concept mm-hmm. of money laundering and obviously a lot of it about that that sophistication and mm-hmm. that development I assume that's again another area that you have to continue to ultimately try and keep up with as they say with the criminals are probably yeah. the The most sophisticated people around so that i presume that's a continued challenge and with i think about say cryptocurrency an example which is just another Mm -hmm. dynamic to the whole situation that uh, must provide a lot of challenges
1: yeah it does and you know i feel for the entities that are there trying to do their best to identify these things and sometimes it can go very wrong um but that's where i think the personal investment of time needs to happen you know someone within the business needs to be understanding the risks um but I do appreciate that you know when you're a compliance officer in a regulated entity you maybe don't have the time that we do to sit down and read a fact for paper on virtual assets or whatever yes. else so that's where we feel it's important to add value by taking that demystifying it turning it into something that's eh, edible and digestible yeah, yeah, yeah. that will keep the Compliance fraternity up to date, I suppose, in yeah. a, as an easy way as possible.
0: Yeah, one of the stats I was reading uh, is it Fenago? Have you come across them? I, I think they provide compliance services, right. but they talked about in the last 10 years that there have been 26 billion pounds worth of fines mm. to, mm. to, to non compliance around yeah. money laundering. Which, yeah. when you think of that number, is just yeah, uh, yeah. It's just we're staggering.
1: We're seeing that trend on the island, mm. uh, you know, if you go back to the early enforcement days and you monitor the trends and you look at the frequency, the frequency is increasing and, you know, it's not a nice place for any regulated entity to have a public statement made about them and a public fine and everything else. But this is what's happening. Yeah. Um, and I think that should be top of a board agenda. It should be sharpening the mind, you know, but I think maybe there are some who think, oh, well, you know, we're low risk and it's not going to happen to us and, and all the rest. So. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think anyone goes out of their way to not comply, but they might just let things slide yeah, yeah, to yeah. an extent that actually, over time, it doesn't look so great.
0: Yeah, no, but it's easy to compare yourself to others mm. and therefore think, well, mm. that's higher risk, we're mm. lower, we yeah. don't yeah. need to be as, yeah. you know, thing, yeah. like you say, things end up slipping a little yeah. bit. So outside of, or, well, outside of the day-to-day job, director mm-hmm. and chair of the consultation committee, what's yeah. involved in that?
1: So yeah, I'm one of the directors of the local compliance association. Um, to be honest, the chair of the consultation committee isn't the most, um, you know, busy role. Uh, it it would be if there was lots of consultation going on, but um, the, the volume of consultation I think has been impacted by COVID um, and the regulators focus being on other things. Um, so it just means going out to the membership and basically saying right there's this that could impact on the compliance profession and let me have any views and also thinking about it from the context of a compliance professional
0: will you go and represent the community
1: well we would certainly submit um, our comments to whoever it was that was consulting on behalf of the compliance community and as a director, I get involved in the, the CPD events that we do, mm. get involved in thinking about membership. So we're, we're quite a small team of directors on that association, but yeah. you know, we're very passionate about making sure that we're representing the compliance community.
0: And how do you find, I it's not going to be, but in regard to dealing with the regu- regulator mm-hmm. and that line of communication, again, you might listen to other jurisdictions, yeah. but particularly when we talk about the Isle of Man, how do you find yeah. them? Yeah,
1: so the FSA are accessible, um, which we hear from other mm. jurisdictions say in the UK that they're not particularly accessible. I think them and me have been round the block long enough <laughs> to have a mutual respect for each other, I hope. Um, so, yeah, um, we will always act in our clients' best interests and, and sometimes, you know, we do have some discussions with yeah, the FSA yeah. about what those best interests might be. Um, but I think they value um, the importance that we place on compliance yeah, yeah. and how much we want to help our clients get to the right place um, and that can sometimes involve you know, quite challenging discussions between us and, and the FSA on behalf of our clients but I think we're all heading in the same direction yeah. um, it's just sometimes we need some clarity on how they're thinking and what they're thinking yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah I think we've been both in our respective fields yeah, for, yeah. for long enough that, that we're good with each other. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good, that's good. <laughs> I hope.
0: <laughs> I think, uh, and I know, again, talking about outside of work, mm. the, you do work with Samaritans. I do. So, how did that come about? Um, what's involved?
1: So, when I moved here uh, in 1992, I decided I needed to do something which would enable me to meet some people outside of work. And I thought to myself, the first thing I see that I can do, what I'm going to do. And there was an advert in the paper for Samaritan Volunteers and I said, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) Um, My husband at the time and my parents were like, pardon, that is the worst thing you could possibly do. Um, You know, it won't suit you. Um, So I joined in 94, stayed till 96, took uh, 13 years off to bring up my son. And then went back in two thousand and nine. So right. I've been a listening volunteer ever since. Right. Um, I also have other roles in the branch. Funnily enough, I'm the trustee for compliance right. and data protection, as you would expect. <laughs> um, so, but it's something that I feel very privileged to do. Okay. Yeah.
0: Again, funnily enough, to go back to the last podcast when we mm-hmm. were chatting to Jennifer, she does volunteer work, and yeah. she talks about how just how. It would be better to go and listen to the episode for the way she describes uh-huh. it, but just that, I suppose, uh, just that feel of giving and, yeah. and helping. Yeah, it's uh, extremely fulfilling. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the nature of the work that we do, you know, when you are listening to someone who is maybe not having the best of days or the best of times um, and shares that with you, it's very privileged. Yeah, and yeah. it's, you know, they often say, you know, how do you do this? And I, I often say, Well, how do you do what you do what you're doing, picking up the phone and talking to a stranger about yeah. something that's really bothering you? That's quite courageous. Yeah. I just sit on the other end <laughs> of the phone. Yeah, 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 <laughs> no. yeah. But it I I really, really, really enjoy what, what I do and I'm passionate about it. I'm very fortunate that my husband's a volunteer as well. Um, and that you know, that means that we can really devote a lot of time to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we both do. Um, so yeah, I can't ever see myself not doing it. Not helping them out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so just to go back to the to mm. to, to uh, DQ, mm-hmm. called Doctor Quinn then, Oops. and uh, <laughs> the present climate's obviously yeah. being strange mm. with COVID. Mm. Uh, how how have you found that? Or how have you, the business found that? And then I suppose developing that on is is the business doing things to to adapt to more of a. Mm. You know an online future as well that is inevitably yeah. all businesses are looking at
1: yeah so um early on in lockdown we actually hosted virtual get-togethers for the compliance profession because we thought that was quite important to do and um, there was no sort of motivation to that other than give compliance professionals an opportunity to come together in a virtual way so we used zoom the conference and facility and um, we had 80 compliance professionals from across the industry together just to talk about the challenges that they were facing and we facilitated that and right. enabled them to talk to each other. And was there common themes in that there I were assume? There lots of common themes and we mm. published a summary paper at the end um, and the feedback we got from the compliance community was just thanks for giving us the opportunity to just talk to other compliance yeah. professionals <laughs> about the challenges they were facing so that was one thing we did and um, some of the work that we do um, we had to change our way of working and um, so we find new ways of using technology to do the compliance outsource compliance monitoring that okay. we do some of the project work we were doing so you know traditionally we would have gone on client premises to do that work we didn't have to which was good um, and then i think the third thing which really does predate covid but sort of chimed really well from a timing perspective is we've developed uh, a new e-learning platform okay. um, which will enable clients initially in the tcsp sector To uh, do e learning online across four key regulatory topics with more to come. Okay. Um, So it did start life well before the pandemic, but I think now from a timing perspective, it's worked out really well for us.
0: And is that how is that subscription based? Yes, it is subscription
1: based, and we're running some demos uh, this week and next week, um, and we've had some great feedback so far from clients too.
0: I presume you can log in and watch them at times that fit yeah you know. it's
1: um yeah so you can log in executive course that's tablet friendly and okay. um, for those directors who don't particularly want to <laughs> do it during working hours and prefer doing it on a friday well, with a glass of wine i
0: think the feeling is, certainly i have seen more out of uh, out of covid because everyone's worked from home that mm. this work-life balance yeah. has kind of changed so Absolutely. people might want to be doing cpd at 10 o'clock at yeah, night yeah
1: yeah i mean when we started we were envisaging directors sitting in london city airport doing their anti-money laundry yeah, yeah. on their mobile but not so much now. now but it's a maybe a glass of wine for another five. Somebody said the other day, I mean during an episode of Line of Duty that my wife's watching, which I took exception to because I'm a huge Line of Duty fan. <laughs> so it's like no. Um, but yeah, that's that's the the intention is that the executive level and the operational level will be quite different. And there's testing functionality in there as well, and analysis functionality in there. So it seems to be sitting well so far with clients. Yeah, yeah. So we're really excited about it and looking forward to developing more content, developing some micro-learning that clients can do, particularly MROs, you know, instant learning
0: kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. And, and to, just to loop back, because we were talking mm. about covid and back to the, to the Samaritans, mm. how is that situation? Because obviously people are going through, mm. a lot of people are going through a difficult time. Yes. I assume it's a, and you hear a lot of charities are one, struggling yes. for funding because yes. everyone's obviously naturally tighter with their yes. funds. Yeah. But the flip side is they need places like the Samarans probably more than ever. Yeah. I assume that's a hard balance at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're very lucky on the funding side um, on Ireland. We're, we're very financially okay, which is great. Um, the
0: more calls, I assume, during this period. Yeah, and, and, people and, and the
1: issues that we had was more calls coupled with volunteers actually having to self-isolate during lockdown um, or shield. So making sure that we continue to be there it was quite unusual because normally you go on shift and you hear about a variety of things. Some of them might be things you've experienced, some of them not. But in the early days of lockdown, say March, April, every single call was about the virus, All everything. Right. And so you're dealing with that yourself at home in your work, and then you're going on shift. And we were doing doubling up on our shifts and um, we're only expected to do one a week, but we were doing two, just to try and manage the volume of calls. and eight hours a week we were hearing about everyone else's worries yeah, yeah. and fears about covid and dealing with our own but the support system within samaritans is phenomenal right. and that's the only way that we could have done that yeah yeah, yeah.
0: when were the samaritans first
1: 1953 right okay
0: yeah. that's
1: when they were founded and they established here in 1979 and um, so we're here 41 years right. in, yeah this month actually right so, okay yeah yeah it's a great organization yeah
0: no on. absolutely yeah. Thanks for coming in today no, and no having worries. a chat. It's very much appreciated. Yeah. If people want to reach out to you, if you don't mind, we'll add your yeah. LinkedIn profile yeah, to the yeah. to the I'll show notes. And I guess yeah. anyone who has any compliance or you, or you <laughs> yeah. take questions, you'd love to talk to them, on not you? Or some yeah. I'd volunteer. love to talk to <laughs> uh, Yeah, yeah. super, thanks. All right, no, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank you for listening, everyone.